Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. address this issue of religion versus the gospel, okay? Religion versus the gospel. Because we don't have a middle screen, there will be no um, notes or scriptures, so uh, please, please, please bear with me, take notes, and uh, we'll move on from there, okay? But that's the title of my message today, and that's probably all you'll see, because then you'll see me back up on the screen. But uh, in Galatians chapter 2, I want to read the first five verses, and it's written by a man of the name of Paul. And uh, he says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 1, 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas and Titus, who came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those who considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them my message. I'd been preaching to the Gentiles and I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement, agreement for fear that all of my efforts had been wasted and I was running my race for nothing. Let me just stop there very quickly and say this. I love the fact that Paul, for all the great things he was doing around the world, amongst the Gentile world, he was able to submit himself to church governance and church leadership. And uh, he didn't just get caught up in the euphoria of all the things that he was doing. He came back to Jerusalem to those that were considered leaders and shared his message, shared his results, shared his fruit, shared what had been going on uh, to see if he was still on track and that he had not run his race in vain. I think that's really, really important. And if Paul the Apostle would place himself under covering, place himself under accountability and have uh, partnerships with others in the gospel, how much more should you and I? It says, they supported me and they did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised. To which Titus said, whew! (laughs) Even though he was a Gentile. Even that question came up only because there were some so-called believers there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in. Isn't it amazing? That Paul's not excited about everyone who's getting involved in church life. He says there's actually some people who who are, are false believers that are hindering the gospel. That's what we're going to address today. They sneaked in to spy on us and to take away our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and to force us to follow their Jewish regulations. But we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. Paul laid down his life, literally, that the gospel might be readily available to us some 2,000 years Later, That's an amazing thing to me. The gospel simply means good news. It means because of the grace of God extended toward us through Jesus Christ laying down His life, we can have freedom from sin, forgiveness from sin. We can be made whole physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, that we can have life abundantly and life everlasting and it's found in Christ Jesus and we can have reconciliation between us and our Father, Father God, once and for all because of the work that Jesus Christ has done 
done. That's what makes the gospel good news. And I don't know about you, but like Dan McGaw, I get excited about this fact that Jesus Christ gives us ultimate freedom. And Paul says, I don't want that to ever, ever, ever be watered down or distorted. And so he takes on the religious people. Let me just say this. When I use the word religion, religion is not a bad word. And it's actually a word that's found in the Bible in a positive sense. So I'm not attacking the word religion from a biblical standpoint. In... um, Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? In James chapter 1, verse 27, James says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So there is a biblical sense where religion is a good word and a godly word. I'm not addressing that today. So please don't find the word religion in a positive sense in the Bible and then challenge me. I'm not addressing that. What I am addressing today is the prevalent perception that makes religion bad. What do I mean by that? When people use the word religion, people have thoughts and imaginations about what that means. And it's that that I want to address. It's that religious institutions or creeds in conjunction with human works can serve as a portal to heaven rather than the full reliance upon the person and the work of Jesus Christ alone. There were people in Paul's day that were saying that there were other ways to get to heaven. There were other ways to get to Father God. And Paul says, uh, uh, I, I want you to have none of it. It's false Doctrine. And so in that sense, I want to use the word religion as a perception that prevails in people's minds today. When I say religion, a lot of people say, trouble is with religion, it causes all the wars. That's a perception that prevails today. You won't find it in the Bible, but it's a perception. And we as preachers and as communicators and as believers have to be able to speak into the prevalent prevailing ideologies that are out there. Otherwise, we're not reaching our audience. It's no good answering questions that are not being asked. Yeah? And so when I say religion, that's what I'm addressing. I'm addressing this perception that you can get to heaven through another means other than the person and the work of Christ alone. Amen. Because as much as I get thrilled at Easter time being filled with people, I know this, going to a church at Easter time does not make you a Christian. Any more than spending a night in the garage makes you a car. Got it? So what I want to do in our short time this morning is look at some examples of the difference between religion and the gospel. Number one, religion is all about what we do. The gospel is all about what he did. Moses came down from the mountain under the old covenant with 10 laws. And the people said, we will do it. That's what religion does. Religion says we can and we will because we're good enough. And guess what? Every one of those we will people broke every one of the 10 commandments. That's what religion does. It makes 
promises it can't keep. He says, I'll never do that again. And guess what? We find ourselves doing it again. Religion always has this we will mentality, but the Gospel is founded not on what we do. The Gospel understands it's not how short your hair is. It's not whether you smoke or drink or whether you've got tattoos. It's unbelievable to me that even in my short life, when I was a teenager, tattoos in the church was a no-no. It doesn't seem to be as much of an issue today. But when I was a teenager in the church, you know, you were basically going to hell if you had a tattoo. You had the mark of the beast and all this nonsense. As if by somehow, if you don't have a tattoo, you'll get to heaven. And we start distorting the gospel truth. This is my, this is my uh, insight into tattoos. You ready? This is my theological stance. They're permanent. Here's another theological sense. If you're going to get one, get a good tattoo artist. Because you don't want something that's permanent, that's bad forever. You just don't want that. When we start talking about what you can and can't do, it distorts the gospel. And we get away from what Christ has done for us. We just had an incredible Easter service or services where we remember what Christ had done for us. I don't want us to forget that in a week. Where we remember Jesus' words upon the cross, three little words that changed our lives. It is finished, paid in full. You know, if, if um, you owed me a debt that you could not pay back, let's just say it was $10 million and you know that in your lifetime, you're never gonna earn $10 million. Some of you see that as a challenge. So you say, I'm going to earn. Okay, let's make it $100 million. Some of you have taken that as a challenge. Let me say $1 billion. That little pointing to my mouth suggests what films I watch. And if you don't know what film it is, that's a good thing. And if you do, anyway. Let's just say you had a debt of $1 billion. And I, out of love for you and generosity toward you, cancel that debt where you don't have to pay one cent back. That essentially is what Jesus Christ was saying on the cross. Your debt has been paid in full. And for me to come, you to come to me and say, here, uh, uh, here's, here's my down payment for my, no, no, it's been paid in full. You don't have to give me any more money. It's paid in full. Stop trying to do good works. You don't have to do it. It's been paid in full. It's been done. It's finished. There is no debt anymore. What are you giving me this money for? There's no debt to pay. It's been done. That's the good news. That we don't earn salvation. Do you remember the story Jesus told about the prodigal son? about a young man that squandered all his wealth, squandered his inheritance. And while this Jewish man was feeding on pig food, it's ironic that Jews weren't allowed to eat pigs. And yet here's this Jewish boy eating pig food. How ironic. And he has this revelation in this pig pen. Hey, if I go back to my father's house, I can hire myself out as a hired hand. And so he makes his way back to the father's house. The father will have nothing to do with the offer. 
And he just embraces his son, puts on him his robe, rings on his fingers and bells on his toes. And he says, come, let's feast. Because Christianity is not about having servants. When we come to God, we don't come as a servant, we come as a son. We come as a daughter based upon the finished work of Calvary. And so the father in this story that Jesus told would have nothing to do with his works. You can't work your way into my family. You can't earn your way into my family. You come based upon humility. And he saw the brokenness. He saw the humility and he received his son. The older brother got religious and said, he hasn't done this and he squandered and he got into works. The good news, people, is the gospel means that it is finished. It's not about what we do. It's not about what we have done. And here's the other side. It's not about what we haven't done. You know that little old lady that you saw needed a hand across the road and you thought, she really needs a hand across the road, but I'm busy and you just, just left her there? You're not going to hell for that. It's good news. She may still be there after the service. You may need to go help her later. But it's not based upon what we do or we don't do. It's not based upon the length of our hair. It's not based upon whether you smoke. If you want to come to this church and you smoke, we just ask that after the service, just go over there. There's plenty of ashtrays and we've got a place for you to smoke. You're welcome. Because we realise that we are all a work in progress. It's not based on what you do. Salvation is found in what Christ has done for us. There is a theology out there and a philosophy out there that goes, God helps those that help themselves. That is not in Scripture. There's a truth to that, but it's not the gospel truth. That, that saying can help you in certain situations, but not when it comes to salvation. In actual fact, I would go as far to say this, that God finds it really hard to help those who are trying to help themselves. Do you know when someone is drowning, the hardest time to try and rescue someone is when they still have enough energy to help themselves. And in actual fact, they can put the lifesaver at risk because of the strength they still have. The best time to rescue someone when they are drowning is when they have no more energy and they have no more strength and they have no more fight in them. And it's when they're going down, the lifesaver can then rescue them and get them on his board and get them to safety. God finds it really hard to try and help anybody who's trying to help themselves when it comes to salvation. People say, oh, the trouble is with Christians, it's for weak people that need a crutch. To that I would say, absolutely. But it's more than that. It's the awareness of just how weak we are. Just because you have acknowledged that I am weak and I need a crutch, does not mean that you're not weak and you don't need a crutch. And every one of us has crutches. It could be our work. We give ourselves to our work. That's a crutch. We give ourselves to our, uh, uh, our relationships. We give our work to our, our, our thing to alcohol or porn addiction or drug addiction or whatever it is. We all have crutches to cope. 
And these crutches are meant to highlight the fact that we actually need help. And I'm here to tell you the fact we all need help and there's one who can actually help us. And his name is Jesus. It is finished. Isn't that good news? It makes it the gospel. It's far better news than you've got to do this, you've got to do that, and you've got to do the other thing. It's just exhausting. The gospel is good news. Because we don't have to do anything to earn salvation. We just have to receive what has already been done for us. That was worthy of a round of applause. I mean, seriously. I don't often say this, but I'm going to say it today. I'm preaching far better than you're responding. Number two, religion says if I obey God, He will love me. But the gospel says because God loves me, I can now obey Him. This changes our motivation for why we do what we do. See, obedience is important. But obedience has to be on the right foundation. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, In view of God's mercy, we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing and acceptable in His sight. Why do we offer ourselves? In light of His mercy. In light of His love for us. In light of what He's already done for us. Our motivation now for serving, our motivation now for giving changes. We're not doing it out of fear. We're not doing it out of guilt. We're not doing it out of the fact that we feel we have to. We're doing it because He loves us. And because He loves me, I can now obey Him. And because He loves me, I can now serve Him. But we never serve Him to get that love. You know, my kids have my love. I love them. When they're naughty and nice, I just love them. I do. But they all have jobs to do. And those jobs that I've asked each of them to do is not about them proving their love to me. I don't want them to do what they have to do in fear that if they don't do it, I won't love them. That's not what I ask them to do their jobs. And so teaching is involved. Training is involved. Explaining, just like I'm doing with you today, is involved. And I let them know, they've got my love. But in so giving them jobs to do, what it highlights to me is the appreciation that they have of the love that they've already received. So one of our children has the job of packing and stacking and unpacking and unstacking the dishwasher. I don't want them to do that to earn my love and to earn my favour. They've already got it. I want them to do that out of a way of saying, thank you, mum, for cooking. Thank you for the great meal. Thank you for mum and dad for supplying the, uh, the monies to be able to buy this food. I'm mindful that there are many, many people on the face of the planet that do not get what I have just eaten. Thank you. Changes everything. Now, I don't know a parent in this room who doesn't want that for their kids. And you know the difference. This is how religion stacks the dishwasher. <laughs> Things get chipped and broken. Yeah? 
But the gospel is just like a gratitude. It's the least I can do. I didn't have to go out and work and earn money. I didn't have to cook the food. All I've got to do is take the dishwasher. Are you kidding me? I can do more than that. I'll even take out the bin. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink, hint, hint. <laughs> Changes everything. But there's no, oh, I've got to do the dishes. Really? You've got to do the dishes? See, none of us like to think we're religious. But these examples leave us very little places to hide. And it all creeps in. And it's dangerous. And this is what Paul left, uh, laid down his life for. That the gospel would not be distorted with religion. Because they do and can look similar. They can have appearance of the same thing. God does want us to serve. And God does want us to work. And God does want us to give. But on the right foundation. And it's the foundation that turns something from being religious into the gospel. And it's the foundation that turns something from being the gospel into religion. And we have to make sure that our foundation is right. And off the back of Easter, I just thought it would be great to look at some of those foundations. Number three, religion sees only good people and bad people. The gospel sees only repentant people and unrepentant people. Wow. Wow. So this is, this is probably the biggest fault with religion. It compares itself to others. Have you ever been in a room where you feel really good about yourself because of who's in the room? And have you ever felt really bad about yourself because of who's in the room? Just depends on who's in the room. And our self-esteem and our self-worth is found on who's in the room and who's not in the room. And the gospel will have none of that. The gospel says that you are valuable and you are precious in His sight. You are the apple of His eye. And if you are the person in the room with the lowest income, it shouldn't change anything. That's why school reunions can be really daunting for people. I wonder who I'm going to see. I wonder what's going to... Gee. And so some of us think, I better go to the gym for a few weeks before the reunion. I better do this. I better... Better hire a limousine. I better just just cover up my real life. And religion has a great way of feeling good about itself when it's around people who aren't doing as well as them. And religion has a great way of pulling people down that aren't doing better than them. But the gospel, again, will have none of it. Jesus told an incredible parable. He told many incredible parables, which is simply just a story. Jesus was a great storyteller. Can I just say this to all the parents? If you want to communicate the gospel to your kids, just tell them stories. Tell them stories with gospel truths because that's what Jesus did. And he said this, and you've got to get why he said this. In Luke chapter 18, verse 9, it says, Jesus told this story to some people who trusted in themselves because they were righteous. So he was addressing the audience. He, he worked out, he discerned who was in the audience, and then he addressed it. And he addressed that there was these self-righteous religious people that had not embraced the gospel. So he told a little story. And the story went like this. There were two men that went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, a religious one. This is kind of like, you know, crows and port supporters. The Pharisees are, yeah, that's us. Yeah, go, Jesus. Tell the story. Not realising he's setting them up. 
So all you Port Adelaide supporters out there, listen up. Anyway. <laughs> one was a Pharisee and one the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. This is what he prayed. Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. And the Pharisee's sitting there thinking, yeah, he's talking about us. Yes. These ones that are thieves. I can see the Pharisees saying, yeah, that's right. Oh boy, these other guys, they're going to get a grilling. Dishonest people, they're going, uh-huh, yep. Adulterous, oh my gosh, he's right on the money. This guy is the Messiah. And even this tax collector, that bingo, this is awesome, great story, Jesus. I fast twice a week. I imagine some Pharisee listening to that, well, I shout three times, woohoo, go me. I give a tenth of my income. Someone says, I give a twelfth. I go, I give whatever. They went down, didn't it? They went down. My man. <laughs> I give 12%. That's what I was trying to say. Was just... <laughs> I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my entire income. It sounds awesome. And all the religious people think it's awesome. And because it sounds awesome, that makes us awesome. We're awesome. The trouble is, what about the tax collectors and the common people and the me and the you? Doesn't leave much room for us. And Jesus says this, but the tax collector stood at a distance. And I can, I can see the Pharisee going, yeah, that'd be right. And he would not even look up to heaven. Pharisees, typical. Instead, he continued to beat his chest. And this is all he said. Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner that I am. And at this moment, again, this is just my visual, creative, left of centre brain or right of centre, whichever is the creative side. All the number of people don't know now, do you? No. <laughs> and I just see the Pharisees thinking, great story, Jesus. I hope these tax collectors are listening. They're so full of their own importance, they don't even know where it's heading. And then he drops this bombshell. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, in other words, the tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the person who humbles himself will be exalted. At that moment, the Pharisees are offended. They're mad. They actually want to kill Jesus. And Jesus says, kill me. But we will not distort the gospel. Do what you have to to me, but we're not going to distort the gospel. Paul says, do what you must to me, but we're not going to distort the gospel. I'm not going to allow the fear of man to distort what needs to be said. And essentially he was saying this, the Pharisee, you guys... You're full of your own self-importance. The tax collector was full of repentance. Religion only sees good and bad people. The gospel doesn't. And that puts us in an even playing field. 
It's not about us being good enough or bad enough. You can't be good enough to get to heaven and you can't be bad enough to be kept out of heaven. That's the good news. The question is, are you humble enough to receive Christ to get to heaven? It only comes down to one issue and that's how humble are you? Are you humble enough to repent before the living God? See, contrary to popular belief, our measuring stick is not the person next to us. That person next to us will either make us look better than we are or worse than we are. That's why in Corinthians, Paul says it's not good that we compare ourselves by ourselves to ourselves. But in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it simply says this, that all have sinned. And I've looked up the word all, and Jared confirmed this, all in the Greek and the Hebrew and the Latin means all. It includes that guy or gal that you look at in the mirror every day. All have sinned and fallen short, not of Derek's glory, as glorious as it may be, not of Riley's glory, Riley in all his glory. We're not even talking about that. We're talking about God in all his glory. None of us compare. And so by comparison to God, we all fall short. We all fall short. And it takes a humble person and a repentant person to say, I'm not God, but I need God. And there's only one way to God, and that's to recognize my need for God. And so I come on that basis. He saved a wretch like me and you. We were once blind, but now we see. Amazing thing. That's what makes the good news the good news. Religion is just hard work. The gospel's freeing. The gospel's beautiful. The gospel's exciting. The gospel's joyful. And this tax collector, through his humility and his repentance, finds God. It's an amazing thing. And this invitation is on an offer today for every person in this room. Number four, religion is about getting from God. The gospel is all about getting God. Let's say that again. Religion is all about getting from God. The gospel is all about getting God. Say it one more time. Religion is all about getting from God. But the gospel is about getting God. The goal of our faith, the Bible says, is Christ himself. That's the goal of our faith. That we might get God. At the end of this, we get God. I, I prayed for some parents in this room that are struggling to have kids. and we, we stand with you, we believe with you. But you know what? At the end of the day, the goal is not the child. The goal is God. We get God. At the end of this, baby or not, we get God. That's the prize of the gospel, God himself. Let me ask you a question. If all the prayers that you are praying right now came to pass, who would benefit? You or anyone else? See, we've reduced our prayers 
to us. And that's what religion does. I reckon if God answered all our prayers, we'd be a lot richer. I reckon next week, if God answered all our prayers, I reckon we'd all come with new clothes, new cars, and we'd be talking about the new home we're about to purchase. Because God answered our prayers. And if all our prayers have been reduced to me, myself and I, that's religion. Wouldn't it be great that if all our prayers are answered, we came to church next week, say, oh my God, I had a revelation of Christ I've never seen before. But you still got your same old car. I know it doesn't matter, but let me tell you about what I saw. Let me tell you about this facet of God. The Bible talks about angels had six wings and over his whole body was eyes. It's freaky. I know it's a freaky, it's a freaky creature. I know it's weird. But it says day and night, these creatures sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that sounds quite monotonous and quite boring to us in our finite thinking. But what you've got to understand with all these eyes over all their body, they're getting fresh revelation and they're like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Did you see that? And then the next minute they're getting another revelation. Going, oh my gosh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And when they thought their mind was blown, they get another revelation. Oh my gosh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And when they think they can't stand anymore, they're like, oh my gosh, oh look, I saw something from my foot. Holy, holy, holy. is the Lord, God Almighty. When's the last time you thought of God being the goal? Or did we come to God to get a girlfriend? And I know some of you did. I know some of you came to church because you saw a girl, and that's fine, God's good like that. He'll do whatever, he'll use whatever means. But if it stays there, if it stays there, if it stays there. It's amazing where God will meet you in our immaturity. You know, when I was a teenager and I was encouraged to go into ministry, my initial response was no. And do you want to know why? I'm going to be really superficial with you and it's going to highlight a point. I said, no, Lord, I don't want to go into ministry because then again, with all due respect to every minister who was in my world at that time and the perception, again, some of it is reality, some of it is perception, but for me, um, my perception of a pastor was they were generally overweight and they were bald. <laughs> that was my naive, maybe youthful, arrogant impression of pastors. And this is where God met me. This is how incredibly gracious God is in the early days with any of us. I say this to encourage you. I felt God impress upon my heart. I've never heard the audible voice of God, so please don't think too highly of me that I hear the voice of God. I've never heard the voice of God, but I've learned his voice. What do I mean by that? Kat doesn't always have to use words to communicate to me. She can give me a look. <laughs> See, you know what I mean? And I've learned that look. I know what that means. And, and I've learned the little nuances of God. I've learned to know the voice of God, even though I've never heard the voice of God. And I just felt God impress upon my heart this thought. If you look after your body, I'll look after your hair. 
That sounds so superficial. But that's the gospel. God met me where I was at. This is actually my real hair. (laughs) It seems so superficial now. But if my goal was just to not lose my hair, that's superficial. But God will meet you there. But it's something I don't even think of anymore other than to amuse you with my stories of when I was younger. But it's not something I think of every day. Oh, Lord, my hair. I don't think about it. Because the goal of my faith is not my hair. It's not my appearance. It's not my home. It's not my comfort. It's God himself. And I want God. I want more of him. And if you want more of him, you'll go through anything to get him. And sometimes he's found on the other side of pain. And sometimes he's found on the other side of loneliness. And sometimes he's found on the other side of abandonment. And sometimes he's found on the other side of betrayal. If you want God, you'll go through it. Because the goal is God. But if you make the goal comfort, you'll back off from any pain in your life and you'll never get more of God. You know, when I hear some of the older people talk about the good old days, it breaks my heart. Because it's not just the sentiment, it's their reality. It's like, that was the best days. If we talk about the good old days as a starting place and I have great memories, but man, I wouldn't swap that for anything because where I am now, that's okay. But when we talk about the good old days as if that was the best old days, that says more about you. It says we have no longer made God, the goal. My dad's here in this room. He turns 81 tomorrow. Happy birthday. 81. He got saved when he was 38. He's never left the church. He was in his previous church for 21 years. And he planted the church with us. Pastors laid hands on us and released us to plant this church. And he's been in this church for 22 years. He's been through some pain in his time. He's experienced suffering and all those things. But today, at 80 years of age, turning 81 tomorrow, he's got more of God than when he was a 38-year-old man. More of God than when he was 48. More of God than when he was 58. That's the goal. And I thank God for his legacy because that's what he taught me. Make God the goal. The goal of our faith is Christ. And if you make that the goal, whatever you face to get that goal becomes doable and bearable. Amen. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, which is one of my all-time favorite verses, Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in order that you might know him better. If we could have the band come up, that'd be great. I don't know how many things I got through, but I've got a whole heap more. But I want us just to have a Selah moment right here, right now. A Selah moment is nothing more than a pregnant pause. It's a, let's stop and think about what we've heard. In this consumeristic society, we just want more and more, and sometimes more is less. 
When I married Kath 24 years ago, having dated her for eight years, which means we've been together for 32 years, my goal for our 33rd year of being together is this. I want to know her better. The goal was never the two-story home, and we've been blessed with the two-story home. That wasn't the goal. You just think back to our vows. Anyone who's been married, think back to the vows. It'd be a superficial vow that says that we would honour each other and love each other as long as we have a two-story home. And as long as you can produce kids for me and kids that are good kids and kids that don't mess up. No, no, our vows went something like your vows in sickness and in health. We've experienced both of that. In the good times and the bad times. And thank God there have been many more good times than bad times. But the reason we've been able to endure that and go through some of those tough times is because the goal was not getting any more than her. That was the goal. You know, I'm going to tell you something, and I don't say it to bring any condemnation because I know this is not a lot of people's reality when it comes to their marriage. But in our 24 years we've been together, we've never spent a night on the couch. Just never. And it's not because we're brilliant. And it's not because we don't argue. Because I want to tell you, this girl can argue. And it's not because we're not perfect. I mean, she is not perfect. You see what I did there? You see that? You see what I did? I was a little bit religious. See that? I was a little bit like the Pharisee. You see what I did? But the reason we can do that, facing the same exact things that you face, irritation, annoyance, tiredness, frustration, just anger. We experience all that. We're not, as pastors, we're not exempt. Our marriage is not exempt from the things that your marriage experiences. What stopped us getting up in the middle of the night, I'm going to the couch. One, I like my bed. <laughs> this may save some of your, your marriages. Get a comfortable bed so that you never want to sleep on the couch again. But to me, the goal was her. And I didn't get married to spend a night on the couch. So we're going to sort it out. That's the only reason we could sort it out, is because that's the goal. Not because we're a pastor, not because we're better than anyone, not because we don't have problems, not because we don't have issues, but because of our goal. She's my goal. I'd like to think I'm her goal in the context of our marriage. And so for our marriage to work, we focus on that and we prioritize that. And it's amazing what you can solve. It's just amazing. And so let's project that onto God. I don't always understand what's going on. With Lisa sitting on the front row and all that we've been through and her family has been through, I still don't have answers any more than when it first happened. But if we make God our goal, I want to use this to get closer to God. I may not get answers to some of the questions, but that wasn't my goal. My goal is not to get answers to every question I have. Because when I get to heaven, I'm going to realize they were just stupid questions. That's what I've learned. I've learned that a lot of my questions I have, are going to, I'm going to find out they are just stupid. 
So I don't make, make, that's not my goal. A life of comfort and ease is not my goal. I think a lot of Christians have settled for that. I just want comfort and ease. But if God's your goal, no matter what happens to you, no matter what you face. So in the midst of all this tragedy, I say to God, God, I want you. So I'm not going to spend a night on the couch. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not running away. I want you. I'm not better than you. I'm not more spiritual than you. Christians and pastors aren't exempt from this stuff. We just make a choice. We make a decision. I'll be honest with you. Haven't always felt like pastoring all of you. Some of you just annoy me. As I annoy you. This this, this idea of starting church and this idea of being involved in a church was not at the expense of until you annoy me. The truth is many of you have annoyed me many times. But the reason we're still here is because when we said we would do church, it wasn't until someone annoys me. It was that we might be more like God. And that together as a family, we might grow closer to God. And that's the only reason we're still here. Because we've made that the goal. It's the reason I'm still married. It's the reason I have no plan B when it comes to my marriage. But religion wants to make much of little and little of much. And so religion would hear what I'm saying and say, oh, this, that's because, and it's all right for you. No, no, no. I'm telling you why it's all right for me. Because of a choice. Just making the right goal the right goal. Most of our problems in life is because we don't have the right goal. We get frustrated and upset. James says it this way, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not what takes place in you? And so if you've set a life on, I gave my life to Jesus so that I would have an easy life. Wrong choice. Just the wrong choice. That is not the gospel. That's religion. That is not the gospel. That is not what Jesus went on the cross for. Here's a hint. Jesus went on the cross the founder of our movement died a painful death. There's a hint of what we might experience to bring freedom to humanity. So what's our goal going to be? What's our goal going to be? My prayer is... If you're an unbeliever in this place, someone who's far from God, someone who's confused and unsure, welcome. We're here for you. We've got coffee. We've been, we've been perfecting our coffee for the last 20 years, knowing that you'd come. I hope you like coffee. I really do. But if that's where you're at, it's about taking that next step. And so if you have any questions about what you've heard today, or God, church, religion. Maybe you've come from another church or another religious background. Ask questions. If God can meet me and say, I'll look after your hair if you look after your body. That's how intimate God is with us. It's amazing. He wants to meet us where we're at. 
But maybe for some of us who have been in church for many a year, and we are, we are Christians, but we've become religious ones. Let's make that adjustment. If your Christianity has become more about you than anyone or anything else, religion has crept in. And Paul laid down his life that that would not be the case. And I'm standing before you fighting like Paul was back then, that the gospel might remain. That the gospel would not be distorted nor diluted because of our pain or problems or unanswered prayers. Can we stand to our feet this morning? I want to pray a prayer. And I want the team just to sing straight off the back of that. Can we do that? Speak, Lord. I just want us to position ourselves. And after I've prayed, and after I've sung a bit, I want to give an invitation for those in this place who have not received the gospel, who have not received Christ, who have not humbled themselves, who have not been repentant, who have been more like the Pharisee. And there's no condemnation, there's no judgment, but I do want to create an opportunity for you to respond and get right with God. And it won't be through your doing, it'll be through repentance. It'll be through humility. It'll be through acceptance. Because Christianity in its purest form is a relationship. And for every relationship to work, it takes two people. And Jesus initiated the first step toward us by coming from heaven to earth and taking upon our sin, upon himself, and taking that sin with him to the cross. And for three days, he laid in a tomb. And on the Sunday morning, he rose again proving that he was who he said he was, that he could do what he said he could do. And before many, many believers and unbelievers, he ascended into heaven. And that's where he's been for the last 2,000 years, sitting at the right hand of the Father, praying and interceding for every one of us right here, right now, to make the greatest decision of our lives to move away from religion and toward Christ. And if he needed to, he'd do it all again. But here's the good news. Jesus never has to do what he did ever again. He did it once and for all, for you and for me. Father, I pray today in the presence of the Holy Spirit that you'd speak deeply to each and every one of us as we contemplate the truth and the richness and the power and the magnitude of all that has been shared today. And we ask that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 